morning. You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks. Welcome back to The Retail Perch. It's great to be here for another episode. Uh, and, you know, exciting times, I know, for everybody who's sitting and watching TV at home, I guess. Uh, but we're glad that you've been following the show. And I promise you today is going to be fantastic. And I have here with my uh, with me our co-host, Gary Hawkins. Gary? Shaker, great to be with you today. Looking forward to uh, having our special guest with us. So, hey, why don't we jump right into it, but just give you a quick background uh, you know, for those of you who don't know Sterling Hawkins, and I think there's very few people who don't, at least in our industry, because he's uh, much talked about and a fantastic speaker. So we're really uh, excited and feel very lucky to get him on the show. I wonder how he did that, Gary. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we'll talk about that a little later. But, uh, but you know, it's terrific to see uh, Sterling. I'll tell you about his website that you can go check out later, but he's got some fantastic material uh, out there. Well-known speaker, keynote speaker at many events. So the fact that we have Sterling on here today to share some of his uh, thoughts and outlook on the industry is fantastic. Welcome Sterling to the Retail Perch and great to have you here. Yeah, well, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. You know, I, I think people know everything they need to know about me because I'm Gary's son. <laughs> and, you know, I guess it runs in the family. You know, I, I grew up at our family's grocery store. I'm fifth generation retailer, worked in most every department, uh, which was a blast till he put me on night crew one time. And I'm like, this isn't quite as fun as I was promised with all the food and snacks that we got at any time of day, anything else. I mean, it was a, a blast growing up there, you know. We co-founded, launched one of the first personalized marketing companies. We sold to a group in the Bay Area. And then really since then, I've been working with companies and their teams to understand uh, exponential growth, meaningful growth, transformational growth. And over the last couple of years, I've kind of consolidated that into a practice that you said it. I share uh, speaking around the world and running workshops for a lot of retailers and brands, but also most every industry. That's fantastic. And I'm sure, you know, our listeners, some of them are retailers, they'll be dialing into some of what you say, hopefully, because I know I've heard some of your talks, Sterling, and I think uh, you hit the hit the nail on the head many times. You get straight to the point. I love your tough talk about really what it takes to change. And we're hoping we can get into some of that today. But before we get started, t- tell us yeah. a little about, about uh, you know, the t-shirt you're wearing, no matter what. I mean, what, what started oh, yeah. that? What was the origin of that whole movement, <laughs> if you will? Well, I've been in innovation for years and some high highs where I've got more stock options than I can count in different companies and some low lows where frankly, I'm out of money, girlfriend breaks up with me. You know, it's like the, uh, like a country song or something. It's so bad, you know? And through that roller coaster, I started to realize, well, there are some commonalities that I use every time that there's a crash to come back. And so I started doing some research and I talked to all sorts of amazing people. I mean, Olympic gold medalists, top gun pilots, famous entrepreneurs, uh, billionaires, you name it. I, I probably talked to that kind of person and I realized, hey, these are practices that not only I'm using, but anybody's using to create breakthrough results as an individual or a company. And, you know, when the world fell apart back in March, it kind of consolidated under this no matter what hashtag. 
you know, we're going to get results. There's an approach that we can use has been proven, not just by myself and my own experience, but with companies that we've worked with for the last several years. And it's come down to five uh, practices to get results regardless of the circumstances, something that I think, well, we could all use a little bit of these days, right? Yeah, we'll get to what those five things are if you're willing to reveal them yeah. on the show. But uh, Gary, uh, let's see, you, you know this guy pretty well, obviously, <laughs> right. uh, but you, you've seen uh, Sterling probably transform in front of your eyes, you know, and, you know, we'll get to the retail section, but I, I, I want to ask your opinion about, you know, what have you seen here in terms of Sterling's transformation and, and what he's picked up his life lessons, so to say, and kind of transformed his career? I think transformation is a good word to use for it, Shaker, uh, because he, he absolutely has transformed over the years. And it, it's really been fascinating to watch, both as a parent, but also as, you know, sort of a co-worker, you know, business partner, uh, and just as another human being. I think for good or bad, members of the Hawkins household have this sort of, you know, do or die type of attitude that we bring two different things we, we tackle over the years. <laughs> and, and it started, you know, with Sterling, you know, way back when uh, he did an outward bound trip. You were what, in high school, I think. 15 right, years Sterling? old, yeah. 15 years old and had a pretty uh, significant and challenging outward bound trip out here in the Rockies that I, I think began to really instill that sense or that spirit that, hey, you know, we can do more than we think we can do. We can get through even tough circumstances. And what's really been neat to watch with, with Sterling is how he has studied and brought together a lot of different teachings, a lot of different learnings across a lot of different disciplines to sort of consolidate that, that message and make it actionable, make it usable by I think a lot of people. That's awesome. That's amazing. So, so Sterling, let's let's yeah. dig into some of uh, you know. Of course, we're we're talking about specifically to the retail audience, the grocery retail sure. audience, uh, and you know, and one of the things that I've observed, you know, being a relative newbie to retail myself, is that many of these organizations are very old, right? You're so right. The, the, these are companies that have existed for 70, 80, sometimes 100 plus years. Right. And, you know, and and then and on the one hand, you have organizations that have this long lasting capacity. And on the other hand, you have something like technology, which changes almost every year. And it can be a culture clash in some sense to be able to adopt and drive innovation in a company that seems to have found these uh, incredible pillars of existence, right? So, right. And, and I know you have some terrific thoughts about that. So, you know, I'd love to hear about how, how does somebody who's an established organization think about innovation, think about disruption? Yeah, well, I think that culture clash you speak of around technology is, is not really because of the technology. That's a symptom of people having a difficult time changing. You know, as humans, we weren't really designed to change and pivot and adjust and deal with the pace of change that is, quite frankly, everywhere today, technology especially. We were built to survive. And as that uh, kind of permeates a culture, it kind of sticks them within the status quo. Now, don't get me wrong. That's very successful for a lot of companies, right? They're as successful as they are because they're doing what they're doing. The problem is that now they're limited to very incremental growth from there unless there's a big culture shift. 
And it, it really is looking at the culture in terms of how they approach each other, how they interact, how they engage the systems within their culture that matters more so than really any technology or any goal or anything else. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, a couple of episodes ago, we, we were speaking to uh, some folks at Coburn's and uh, yeah. they had they had to go through a big shift, right, Gary? I mean, where, oh, you know, yeah. they had to relaunch loyalty and take this customer-centric view and, yeah. and it required the executive will and an entire organizational change to basically, it's almost like moving a big ship in a different direction. It takes yeah. a lot of will and a lot of persistence and fighting some bloody battles to make sure that you can point in the right direction, right? Right. I think another way to look at this is, you know, we've all talked with, worked with very, very successful companies across the retail industry, be they retailers, wholesalers, brands, et cetera. You know, they continue to do many, if not all of the things they've always done that have made them successful. The challenge today is that while they haven't changed, the world around them has. And, you know, as Sterling talks a lot about, as I talk a lot about, you know, we now live in a world of, of exponential growth of technology. And that means that it is changing and getting faster every single day. That has created a new world, a new environment for these companies to now work within. And what worked yesterday may no longer work today and probably won't work tomorrow. Well, and I, I think there's a trick in how people and companies look at these things. I mean, I come out of the innovation world and there's this car analogy. I'm sure everybody's heard it. Some version of look out the front window, look at where you're going. Don't just look in the rear view mirror. It means look into the future, don't look yeah. into the past. Now, I think that's very important especially around technology and all the innovation that's happening. But it just leaves you totally focused on your destination and how you're going to get there. You know, we need to implement this technology, so we need to do A, B, and C. Or we need to hit this revenue goal, so we have to do one, two, and three. Necessary stuff. It just leaves out the most blatantly obvious thing. The vehicle. Of course. Right, it's the vehicle that is your company culture that's going to get you anywhere. Now, the cool thing is when your vehicle or your culture culture starts to change, it starts to change what destination is even possible. You know, if you walk outside in the morning and you see the car you've always had, well, you figure you can make it ten miles down the road, and you know all the stops you're going to make on the way, and you know the turns you're going to take. But if you walk outside one morning and your car has wings on it, well where you can go is entirely different. And that's the power of really implementing uh, culture systems that give you effective growth versus just relying on the status quo. That's powerful. So, I mean, that obviously applies to any industry uh, you can think of. What kind of wings can a, can a grocer grow? I mean, yeah. in terms of, you know, there's lots of rigidity in their, in their go-to-market strategies. Uh, what, do you, what do you tell these people? Yeah, well, when I'm talking about wings, I'm not talking about both on the latest and greatest technology. I'm talking about implement, well, I've got five systems to get results regardless of the circumstances. And I think one of the most important things, and is always the place we start, is hunting discomfort. You know, when, well, I could just speak as a retailer, you know, we kind of had our system. 
I would get up every morning and I would do this and I would do that and I'd do the next thing. And every week we'd be on this cycle and holiday time was the best because we didn't really have holidays. We were kind of managing the store and making sure sales were going as well. When I was really young, I would hand out cookies, you know, but that's just the way that we did it. Right. And whenever anything gets a little uncomfortable, well, people tend to shy away from it, right? If you see it, there's a house on fire, what do you do? Well, you, you run away. Right. The trick with innovation, at least from a cultural standpoint, is developing a culture that goes towards the discomfort, that has the conversations to say, hey, yeah, this job, this role that you've got isn't going to be relevant 18 months from now. What are we going to do about it? Versus sweeping it under the rug until the inevitable happens. Right. Or sitting down with the IT department to say, hey, um, we know we need to overhaul the whole technology system here. Let's have that hard conversation, the things that we probably haven't been avoiding or haven't wanted to talk about, because it's inside of that discomfort, we'll be able to get transformative growth. Yeah, I, I think that is a, a really powerful point. Right. Because, you know, we've all, again, worked with, worked for, had experience with companies that have been successful. And yeah. it's just human nature to keep doing those things that have made you successful. Right. Uh, and it's really hard, especially in, in supermarket retail that operates on such thin margins that is so, you know, executionally focused. Right. Uh, you know, do these same things very, very efficiently, effectively, et cetera. To, to change. And yet, to Sterling's point, in my career, it is when there was a lot of pain that forced a change because there was basically no choice. It was either I had to do something different or we're not going to be in business or we're not going to be as successful as we were or whatever. And I've seen that same thing play out at other companies. So th there's a lot to that, albeit it's really uncomfortable to go through. Right. Well, and I, I think we just watched it happen a lot of places in March of this year when, you know, the COVID shutdown started to happen. Uh, a lot of retailers handled that, I, I thought, very well. Some exceptions to that, but generally there were great responses. You, you know, there's hazard pay and they're making sure everybody's got the right equipment and they've got the testing and they've got the shields up for everybody. Right. And, and this is back when we didn't know much about the virus. We didn't know what was happening, uh, how dangerous it really was. Um, are these people really in harm's way? And in talking with a lot of retailers, they didn't see all of that movement as innovation. They just saw it as, well, damage control. Like these are the right. emergency things that we have to do. But at the same time, the amount of innovation that happened in most every retailer and brand that I've talked to during that, call it, three month period or March up through now is more than they've done in, well, in some cases, years. True. Right. Now, didn't feel great for any of us. But at the same time, they changed their processes, they changed their systems, they changed the conversations they had to get things done. And it was almost like they had to embrace the discomfort, because we're doing it for everybody. And as such, we got a great result. The trick is harnessing that kind of situation to drive change without totally disempowering the entire leadership team and company. You know, to your point, Sterling, yeah, they were, retailers were innovating in real time, right, as, as we like to think of it. Um, but what was fascinating was a fair number of the different executives I talked to around that time 
they didn't view all the stuff they were having to do as a headache or, oh my God, this is so painful. It was almost, some of them were almost enthused about the challenge of, we can do this. You know, we can figure this out. And I, I think a lot of food retailers do have this feeling somewhere deep inside them, right? That, you know, they are a public service. People need to eat, they need to find a way to stay open and operate as best they can in right. situation that we had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard this in my life that people change because of one of three reasons. One is because they can change, they want to change, or they have to change. And obviously the third option is the worst because you're changing because you're forced by circumstance to change. Uh, ideally, you want to do one or two, which is you can change and you do, or you want to change and you do. Uh, and I guess we saw in this in these last few months that several people changed because they absolutely had to change. They weren't ready for the disruption. So how, how do you get a, a companies in a mindset where they want to change? How do, you, how do you create the internal discomfort? I mean, I guess that's, that's really the tough part. One is being put in a position of discomfort where you have to solve a situation. The second yeah. is creating it internally so you create the innovation, right? Right. Yeah, well, you, you build a kind of a cascading flow of momentum. And the pandemic can actually be a good starter for that because it's kind of shaken everybody up. And, you know, Dad, as you said, some people are really enthused by this, not by the virus, obviously, but the fact that, hey, I'm showing up at work on Tuesday morning and it's different than it was last Tuesday. I've got a mission and there's something to do. Right. And we're going to figure it out. Exactly. And the way you keep that momentum is you offer people a chance to kind of put themselves on the line, to put something at risk, where, yes, as a company, we have to deliver. We have to make sure that there's groceries on the shelf and our employees are safe at call it the most basic level. But at the same time, every role within that organization, the store manager, uh, the night clerk, um, the operations manager at the headquarters level, right? There are smaller things that they can commit to, to their boss, to their family, to some people around them that all of a sudden has them again, rise to the challenge because it's the most interesting thing. Like people can and do rise. It's just, they need to have the chance for it. So I know you talked about the five things so the no matter what. Can you, can right. you kind of list them down? Uh, talk, talk, talk to us a little bit about what these are. Yeah, so the first thing is hunt discomfort. You know, find the things that scare you and go after them. Hunting discomfort is like a muscle. You know, you go to the gym a whole bunch of times in a row, well, you get stronger. If you start hunting enough discomfort, you can handle greater and greater levels of discomfort and become at some point unstoppable, right? Where no matter how uncomfortable a situation is, you can still get after it. What's next is we kind of walk through this a little bit backwards is getting a tattoo, you know, committing so deeply to something that there's no turning back. Now I don't have any tattoos yet. I I will at some point, you'll have to follow me on social media for that. Right. (laughs) But the idea is that if somebody has a tattoo that's with them really forever, and not only is it with them, it's a reminder of what they stood for, a belief that they had, and more so, they're probably sharing it with other people. If it's visible anyways, they say, oh, well, what's your tattoo of, right? And that's the idea of committing so deeply that it will always be part of you. Third is when you run into problems or obstacles or roadblocks, there's a technique I've got called flip it that really takes them and uses that as the door to breakthrough growth. 
We then have to build a street gang, which for a lot of retailers, they already have one, right? These are surrounding yourselves with people that support you, empower you to be better than you are. And I got to tell you, of all the industries that I've worked in, retail especially, some of the tight friendships there are just phenomenal. It's just having conversations with those people in some cases to say, hey, where can I be better? Where can I step up to the plate? What's something that maybe I can commit to that I don't see for an opportunity to be better? And the fifth step, which may be the most important step, it's also the hardest, it's surrender. To radically accept what is. You know, just to, again, use COVID as an example, well, we don't have um, anything to make the virus magically disappear. In a lot of cases, we don't have the wherewithal or the connections to change whatever legislation might be going on around it in our community, state, or across the country. So how do we radically accept that and say, okay, given that, that's just what is, where can we go from here? I love it. I mean, this this looks to me as something that you've distilled out of years of experience. <laughs> uh, it's not something exactly. that comes overnight. So, and, and I don't think that any of those ideas are radically new. You know, I didn't like pluck this out of the of heaven yeah. and say, "Oh, here's the five things." It really does come from a lot of research to say high performers across not just any industry, but any high performing thing. Period. They use the exact same five practices right absolutely and they build these practices into who they are and in the case of companies or high performing teams they build it into the culture and that's what lets them win right right so let me ask you about this i loved your get a tattoo analogy to being committed yeah. uh, just it's just such a striking image right uh right. so so what what does it mean for an organization to get a tattoo what, what does it mean um well at the highest level, it's commit so deeply that there's no turning back. So for example, let's take something with uh, bird's eye. You, know, you could take a retailer that has no loyalty program, no customer data of any kind. And what would it look like if they told all of their customers, hey, in three months from now, we're going to have an app for you to download that has entirely personalized offers for you. End of story. You know, I'd, I'd add some more marketing finesse to that and like really put yourself on the line for it. But oftentimes that's what it looks like, right? Because in two months they can't say, well, you know what? We changed our mind, right? They've committed to it. They've made something public. And when you commit to the people you're closest with, and in a lot of cases our customers, that's what has you perform. And then it's a matter of kind of sorting the organization out in such a way to get that product, that solution integrated, that system changed, whatever it might be. Just a quick question that, that yeah. occurred to me, Sterling, is for a company or organization to, to take on that kind of change, your experience, is that best done from top down or is this something that can sort of percolate and, and bubble up? In a perfect world, top down, right? Leadership kind of sets the tone for the organization. But at the same time, it can start anywhere, uh, especially with that first step hunting discomfort. You know, when people put themselves on the line for a cause that's greater than their own discomfort, it's inspiring. I mean, you look at somebody like Malala, right? 
where she put herself on the line and said, I'm going to do something about women's rights in the Middle East. And yes, I'm going to receive death threats. And yes, I might even get shot. She got shot once, by the way. But she put herself in such a vulnerable position where she knew there was a lot of risk. Well, that inspires all the people around her. And she didn't start out a leader. She became one because she sacrificed her own benefit, maybe what she wanted for herself, for the group. And that's what leadership is. So, you know, that could start in a checkout line. But ideally, it's the CEO that's kind of stepping up and saying, yeah, I'm going to put myself on the line for the betterment of our organization, not just for all of our customers and all of you, but for everything going on in the world as well. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, a quick example that comes to mind of that top down is Kroger and Dave Dillon, right, 15 years ago, committing the entire company to a customer first, customer focused philosophy. And he did a terrific job over the years of just driving that home every day through every part of that company. And that's why, you know, Kroger is so adept at, at using customer data today. And again, we, we talk about it. I mean, which is, you know, you've lived your life in retail. We talk about the shift from, you know, a product centric approach to a customer centric approach. And, you know, obviously that's a big mind shift. It's not that products yes. are not important. And, you know, they're important, but it's the customers that buy the products, yeah. <laughs> uh, clearly, right? So products don't move by themselves. So uh, when it comes to a shift like that, do the same principles apply, Sterling? I mean, is, is, do you approach it the same way as a retailer who says, I want to become a co customer-centric company? What um, has to happen? Yeah, well, I, I think the vision's important, right? Because that kind of orients you around a goal. Um, but then we need some specific things that we're going to do to become customer oriented. You know, for example, one of the ways a company could put themselves on the line for something right, like that is well, changing employee compensation. Right now, it might be totally based on financial performance. Okay, well, if you're customer centric, shouldn't the customer data play into that? And maybe, I don't know, retaining your best customers, you should be rewarded on that, not just financial performance. So that's an example of saying, hey, Sure, we want to be customer centric, but now let's put something on the line. Let's maybe go through whatever discomfort that might come to really commit ourselves to that. And frankly, it might not be right the first time. I mean, let's just stick with that same example of changing um, compensation structures. How you do it initially might not be perfect. Right. But it doesn't have to be. The point is that you've taken the first step and then you can look at it and say, hey, actually that could be better if we did X, Y, and Z and then go back and do it. Kind of reminds me of how we started at Birdseye and what we're doing now, <laughs> right? right? You just got to start somewhere. You just got to, yeah, yeah. you, you know, journey no, of you, a thousand miles starts with the first step, right? That's right. But, but I, I think oftentimes there is something, there's some trigger that sets off what ideally becomes a chain reaction, right? Right. I, I mean, Sterling, you were young at the time, but yeah. it, you know, almost 30 years ago now, when I made the decision to launch one of the first loyalty programs in, in the US, yeah. it was because, you know, we were sitting there as an independent operator and Walmart was just beginning to enter into the grocery industry. You know, it was triggering this wave of consolidation across Kroger and Safeway at the time and other big retailers. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way in 
the world we're going to be able to compete on price anymore. We yeah. have to change the playing field, totally change the playing field. And it was then I began reading about, you know, some of these early programs, other parts of the world, and, you know, connected the dots between some type of customer ID and transactions and gathering all this data and leveraging that understanding. You know, in our case, that was the trigger. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that's, that's what you mean by flip it, right, Sterling? I mean, you're gonna kind of have to, to create that breakthrough. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by flip it? Yeah, well, uh, flip it's around taking what might look like problems or limits or roadblocks and using them as a door to break through growth. A great example of this is a friend of mine. He's a performance artist over in the UK. You know, he, he raps, he writes, he does spoken word stuff. Phenomenal guy. His name's Zuby. Worth checking out. And I think this was about a year ago now. He posted something on Twitter that seemed fairly innocuous to him, but Twitter kicked him off. They suspended his account. Now, as somebody that makes most of his money doing things online and engaging with fans in the social media world, this is a very big problem. You agree? Yeah. Right. But he didn't just kind of sweep it under the rug and, and call Twitter and say, hey, can we get my account back on? This is kind of embarrassing. I'm sorry this happened. What he did is he took screenshots of all of the uh, interaction that he had with Twitter. And he took some of the description of what happened that he was talking about in a news interview and turned it into a song. So he took the problem and used it to his advantage. Now, when he released this song, his social media exploded. All of a sudden, he's got all these new followers, these new uh, people that are engaging with him. Twitter, of course, gave him his account back. Right. <laughs> but that's just a great example of taking something that, yeah, is a problem, but using it as an opportunity. And clearly, Gary, that's what you did in your story. You, you saw a problem. We right. can't compete on price. What do I have that I can yes. use to flip my situation here? Yes. Right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Fantastic. And yeah. so when you mean street gang, I'm guessing what you mean is a close set of people that tie into your vision that you can go out and make things happen. Is that what you mean by street gang here? Oh, yeah. Probably. Well, people that are going to have the tough conversations with you. Mm. You know, the people that tell you you're doing great and, oh, you did a phenomenal job, frankly, they're a dime a dozen. You know, it's the people that are really going to look you in the eye and say, hey, what you did back there, you can do better. Even if it was great, right. you know, having a real commitment for your performance is what a street gang's about. You know, just like a real street gang. Right. You know, they're, they're kind of cutthroat, but they're kind of a family and they're going to tell you how it is. And they're going to tell you because they love you to death and they're committed that, well, you get the best results. And it's the same thing in work or well, really any situation where you're right. surrounded by people that say, Hey, here's where you can do better. Here's how, maybe here's some resources, not from like i I'm upset with you standpoint, but more from the place of love of, yeah, I want to help, you know, right. here's how to be better. A lot of retailers are in a really envious position, right? Many yeah. of these folks are in share groups that have been in place for decades in some cases. Right. You know, the CEOs have co, you know, fellow CEO relationships 
that go back in some cases for decades, you know, family relationships. So in a real sense, many of these folks have already got that sort of streaking built in or around them. It's just in how they use it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And it might just be a simple conversation to say, hey, we've known each other for 30 years. When you look at my career, what do you think? Or where would you direct me? Or where can I improve? You know, because sometimes people won't tell you unless you ask. So you got to be open right. to it, too. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, you know, Shaker, I think Cobrans is a great example of that. Right. They leveraged their share group. They leveraged a lot of Chris Cobran's relationships, Dennis's relationships around the industry to learn all they could around loyalty and personalization and so on before they put their program together and rolled it out. Yeah. I think in, in entrepreneur speak, we always uh, say, you know, uh, nobody wants you to call your baby ugly, but sometimes you got to face the truth and fix it, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, and, and when you've been doing something for a long, you get attached to it, you attach, get attached to the way you do things and you don't want to, you want the status quo because again, it, it's that discomfort, right? You just don't want to, uh, you don't want to face those things unless you absolutely have to. And I guess in a world that's changing rapidly, if you are not proactive about seeking that discomfort, you are going to be disrupted. Yes. Oh, there's no question. Right. right. There's no question. I mean, every big breakthrough is on the other side of discomfort. I don't care if you're talking about an individual or a company, but we can use that discomfort to kind of inspire teams and start to build a street gang if we don't have one. There's this great story. Do you know the burger chain Red Robin? Yeah, heard of that. Yeah. yeah. So their CEO, Denny Marie Post, she was in kind of a tough position because they were looking at customer feedback forms, something that I think everybody looks at, right? And on their forms, nobody, well, next to nobody would recommend Red Robin to their friends or family. And she's looking at this saying, well, what, what do I do with that? This is a major problem. You know, can you imagine right. any retailer getting that kind of feedback? Like you, something must be done. So she called in all of her, her restaurant managers, you know, people that had responsibility on the ground responsibility for how the customer experience was going. And, you know, they did the usual brainstorming. Here's what we can do. Here's how we can do it. At the end of the meeting, she said, you know what? Let's take this a step further. If we can double the response rate to say twice as many people, which is not all that many people, will now recommend it in some period of time. I think it was like three months. I will literally get a tattoo. And... Of course, you can imagine how this meeting went. It went from kind of the usual status quo of, okay, well, we got to check that. We got to make sure we're smiling when people come in. We got to say please and thank you. And all of a sudden people are like, wait, really? Right? It takes it to a whole right. nother level. Like now we're playing. Right. Now it went from almost everybody had a negative response on that survey to in a very short order. I think it was like six weeks. Almost every single person filling out that survey as a customer said, yeah, I'd recommend this to friends and family. Wow. And Anne-Marie Post, she did get a burger tattoo. I think it was on her left arm because she followed through. Now, the cool thing about that is now that group of people that went through that, well, they're much, much tighter. They're having a much more dynamic conversation, not just about the customer surveys, but about everything. So she used discomfort. She used getting a tattoo to really build a street gang inside of her organization. Yeah, that, that reminds me, uh, you know, Shaker, you may remember this, Sam Walton years ago 
promised his management team if they hit a certain performance level, he would do the the hula and a grass skirt on Wall Street. Yeah, it can be that easy. And they did it, and he did it. He did, wow. And and you'll still find pictures of that on the internet, right? That's amazing. But it, it was that symbolic thing and and commitment that that you know made that happen. Well, and, yeah. and it can be fun. I mean, so often I end up in these boardrooms where everybody's like so dead serious, like uh, performance is down and there's more competition than ever. And we've got a pandemic and, you know, it feels like we've just attended a funeral. Right. Nothing's going to get done when right. that's the state of affairs. Correct. At least nothing transformative. When Correct. you start to bring in some fun things like getting a tattoo or, hey, I'm going to dress in a hula skirt and go dance on wall street well now all of a sudden people are excited like that's right. fun and well it's not a bad thing to have fun at work sometimes absolutely absolutely i mean you know we've had our uh gary's been aware and witness to this we've had our own share of dark mondays <laughs> but oh. uh, <laughs> uh you know but i think you know that's that's the story of every entrepreneur's journey is you know you got to figure out how to flip it how to get the breakthrough how to get your own street yes. gang i mean you know, honestly, I think, you know, if, if you're a retailer, entrepreneur, I think really everybody can benefit from this, uh, you know, what Sterling has put out here. It's just amazing. But anything else, any other stories that you have, Sterling, that jump out at you from a retail perspective that you think uh, uh, will really help our audience? Well, I, I think when we're looking at problems, and th this isn't a story, this is just kind of a emphasis on using any of these problems and obstacles. Look at, well, why is it a problem? You know, is it a problem because of our uh, own values, ethics, and beliefs? Is there some legislation? Uh, what is it that's causing this problem for us? And then looking at beyond the specific goal, what is the vision? What is it that we actually wanted to achieve? Because once we free ourselves up around the vision, we can start to look at other ways to achieve that that's maybe using the problem in a totally different way or, or going around it or flipping it, right? I don't love the term thinking outside the box, but that's essentially what we're doing. Right. And really in the world that we live in today, especially technologically speaking, literally anything's possible. Right. right. And as we can kind of approach it from that mindset, from that culture space of here's the practices that we have, well, then we can get any results we're looking for we are living in a really exciting time, what can be an incredibly exciting time, right? For us as individuals, part of society, uh, absolutely in business today. You know, I mean, we all know people in business and retail that come in every day almost, you know, dragging themselves through the door. Oh my God, one more day of headaches and what's right. gonna change today? You know, as opposed to those people that come in the door excited bouncing up and down because look at all the new technology look at all the new innovation look at pretty much as you just said anything is possible today right. i mean you know some days i don't know how serious <laughs> i want to get with this but you know i i would some days really love to be a retailer again because right. in knowing what i know right and having a view right. to what i have a view to because there, there's just so many things that could be done but it's it's getting retailers in our world to break out of that daily routine 
and look at change, look at new ways of doing things as an opportunity, not a painful experience. Right, right. You know, of course, Gary, there's this, uh, you know, every industry, I guess there's people who kind of set the pace. Some people yeah. follow and some people finally do it because they have to and they don't have a choice. And, you know, I think there's plenty of examples like you brought out of retailers who've really gone out and kind of, you know, committed to that change and made yeah. it happen. Uh, and there are some who are, you know, I guess uh, because of the last few months have had to pick up and figure out what they're going to do. So the last question here for, for you, Sterling, with what's gone on in the last six months, and I'm sure a lot of what you've thought about here on these, no matter what principles, uh, have kind of come to light and become, you know, more apparent in some sense, right? Because you really had to had the no, have the no matter what attitude to get through some of these times that people have been through. From a perspective of retail, yeah. what do you see? What do you see happening here uh, for retail and grocery? Well, I, I think personalization and automation are a couple of big buzzwords. And you see it in the startup community. I do a lot with different angel groups, uh, well, in California and here in Colorado. And you could see all these startups now kind of aiming towards, well, what if we create a more personalized experience or a personalized delivery? Or what if we used a robot for this or an automated warehouse for that? So I think the writing's on the wall that that's coming. With that said, I think it's the responsibility of uh, every traditional retailer to, well, first know that's coming. And then second, start thinking through, well, if that's the future of retail, how do we develop our organization, maybe more importantly, our people to work throughout that system? People are really good at certain things. Maybe not stocking the shelves, at least not as good as a robot, but they're really good at customer service, far better than artificial intelligence may ever be. So how do we double down on, on the education, the employee development, and anything else to make sure we're taking care of our teams as this future kind of descends upon us? Nice. That kind of nicely dovetails into your paper, Gary, Retail 4.0, which we talked about in the last episode, yeah. uh, where we talked about, you know, lots of jobs are going to be replaced potentially by automation. But I think there's some things that humans can do that it's going to be very difficult for some of the technology to ever replace. This has been so much fun, and I'm sure our listeners have absolutely had a blast here. By the way, uh, sterlinghawkins.com is the website, right? Uh, That's right. For any speaking workshops, sterlinghawkins.com, and then for all of our work in retail, advancingretail.org. If you're not following Sterling on LinkedIn, you should, because he's got some amazing, inspiring posts coming out every week, and uh, I definitely make it a point to read through everything that he's got. Sterling, it's been great seeing you. Hope to back you, have you back on the show again, you know, in a few months from now. But uh, appreciate it. Gary, anything love it. else? Anytime. No, Thanks, it was Thanks. a great conversation. Sterling, thank you. Thanks, Shaker. Guys. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. <laughs> Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.